Let's have a word of prayer, which is rarely heard after uh, Billy Squire performs. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here tonight. We ask that you just shed your Holy Spirit out upon us, that you allow us to hear your word and hear your message in a new way that speaks to us uh, through your storytelling and your parables. Allow us to understand our place and our role in your kingdom. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Yes, that is Everybody Wants You by Billy Squire, circa 1982. Uh, another interesting week, last, last week we did uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, an interesting song given the genre and the era. And this is another interesting song uh, given the, the genre and the era that it was in. If you look at uh, 1980s, those were pretty good years uh, for most of us. We were coming out of conflict. Um, we were coming out of some recession, and, and the 80s were kind of met with this uh, abundance and this uh, thriving economy uh, and a lot of success and a lot of uh, 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 kind of encouragement. And if you look at the rock from the eight ladies in early 90s, a lot of the messages and a lot of the themes in, in rock and roll in that era are about decadence. They're about um, basically uh, being the life of the party, uh, being the center of attention, um, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, well, as the motto goes, a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's where that all came from, uh, that, that entire rock and roll era. But here, here we have Billy Squire um, basically writing a song about somebody who wants that, who uh, lives that out, who is the center of attention, who is the life of the party, who everybody wants. You know, the, the old adage, the, the man every man wants to be and the, the man every woman wants. And, and that's the kind of person that is portrayed in this song uh, but even though that life seems good for a while, uh, and as Squire puts it later in the song, you never realize what you do to yourself. And so the message we get in this song is that, yeah, it might be good for a while, but the price that you pay in the long run and the debt that you incur living that life uh, is greater than we could ever imagine. So these are positive rock songs we're listening to. So today we continue our series, The Storyteller, looking at parables of Jesus. Remember, parables are simply straightforward metaphors. The meaning isn't hinted. It's not um, a mystery. It's not an allegory. Jesus is telling us stories from everyday life to teach us about how we live in the kingdom and how we live into our role. So today we're going to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And that's found in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, get them open to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 23 is where this parable starts. I guess we're going to start at verse 21 today. So last week I said every parable begins with an event happening, something is happening, and then Jesus responds. Or there is a question and Jesus answers in a parable. Now today's parable begins with a question. And it's a question from Peter, the disciple, and God bless Peter, he tries his hardest, and and, and he tries to give it to Saul, and and he actually asks Jesus a question, and then, unfortunately, answers his own question, and and that's where Peter Peter messes up a little bit. So they had just been talking, uh, if you look back in Matthew chapter 18 earlier, they had been talking about how brothers and sisters in the church should deal with conflict and deal with... um, 
uh, hurting one another or dealing with kind of slights against one another. And this is where we get a lot of our conflict resolution in the church comes from this chapter in the Bible. Good stuff about how we need to interact with each other. We need to go to each other, say, hey, listen, this is how I feel. Can we deal with this? Can we work on this? Then you get a third person involved and you talk and you work with it. And and then it goes on from there. So Peter says this in Matthew uh, 18, 21. Lord, how many times should should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then he answers his own question, which you should never do. Should I forgive as many as seven times? You see, Peter thought he was doing really well. Because in rabbinic tradition, the, the tradition of the teaching of Israel uh, passed from um, the Old Testament through the New Testament, passed to modern day, of course. The rabbinic tradition continues. Um, but, but a lot of the rabbinic tradition happens in between the Old Testament and New Testament. And rabbinic law, rabbinic tradition said, you should forgive someone three times, but never a fourth time. I know that seems arbitrary, but it's not. In the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, there is an interpretation that says God forgave three times, but punishment was dished out on the fourth offense. And so rabbinic thought, or, or, or the people that, uh, the teachers that were coming up with kind of a Talmudic uh, insight in law, they said, well, if God can only forgive three times, certainly humans cannot forgive more than God. So three times is the maximum number of times you can forgive someone, uh, and then you don't have to. So Peter, God bless his heart, takes three times, multiplies it by two, and adds one for good measure, and says, Jesus, I know, I bet we should forgive seven times, because Peter knew Jesus takes traditional teaching and turns it on his head. But Jesus, once again, surprised Peter and surprised everyone standing there. And Jesus said, not seven times, but rather 77 times. Now, that's one of those mind-blowing statements Jesus was famous for. But he didn't stop there. He continues with a parable. And this is where we pick up in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle his accounts, they brought to him a servant who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay him back, the master ordered that the servant would be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had and that the proceeds should be used as payment against the debt. But the servant fell down, kneeled before the king and said, please, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. The master had compassion on the servant, released him, and forgave the loan. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him 100 coins. He grabbed him around the throat and said, Pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he threw him into a prison until he paid back his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master all that had happened. His master called the first servant and said, You wicked servant! 
I forgave you all of that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? His master was furious and handed him over to the guards responsible for punishing prisoners until he had paid the debt in whole. My heavenly Father will also do this to any of you who don't forgive your brother or sister from your heart. a great parable it's a little scary and we're going to talk about that but it's a great parable now over the last couple weeks and actually in the coming weeks we're going to hear a lot of parables about servants slaves and hired men last week we talked about all three next week we're going to talk about hired men a little bit more and the difference between some of those positions because we don't really have uh, those kind of social classes in the United States can be a little bit confusing. And the term servant here can be a mi- little misleading. Now the Bible or, or the Jesus says this was a servant, but he wasn't just a servant. He was a servant to a king. Now, now through some word studies and through actually looking just at that parable, we can actually figure out and we can actually see that the servant was actually uh, not kind of a lowly position, but actually a rather lofty position. Think of Joseph in the book of Genesis, who was servant to the Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, the king of Egypt, but really was second in command. Yes, he was a servant, but he was responsible for everything and all the operations in Egypt. So we see from the amount of, uh, of wealth that this servant was responsible for, This was really a servant who was kind of number two in the kingdom. This was kind of the right-hand guy of the king. This servant was responsible for the wealth of the kingdom. This was the guy everybody wanted. This is the guy that you went to if you wanted to get the ear of the king. This is the guy that you uh, that that kind of had that lofty position who 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 really uh, probably enjoyed that limelight, but like in our opening song living that life and being that guy isn't always what it's cracked up to be now jesus never throws out anything random and he certainly doesn't throw out any random numbers so the numbers here are fairly important and the two debts the two amounts of debt in the parable are significant now the the first servant the 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 servant that was really responsible for the wealth of the kingdom in the story owed 10,000 bags of gold, or, if you look in the Greek, talents. Now, a talent, which we're going to talk about here in a couple weeks in great detail in the parable of the talents, a talent is a measurement or weight, and it was the largest amount of currency of the time. So, uh, kind of thinking modern times, the uh, talent was basically like a $100 bill. Um, Well, I mean, if a $100 bill was a giant bag of gold. I guess then it would have been a $100 bill. So not quite the same, but really the largest amount of currency that you could have at the time. Now, the common belief is that a talent was 33 kilograms, which equals 72 pounds. So 72 pounds of gold. All right? So I just wanted to figure out how much debt that we were talking about by today's standard. So, um, for those of you who like math, there are 1,152 ounces in 72 pounds. I knew a lot of you knew that off the top of your head. Now, as of 
as of Monday, as of Monday, because we're, we're current events, as of Monday, the April gold contract for gold was $1,378 per ounce. All right? So we're going to multiply our ounces by our current price of gold to get the price of one talent, and then we're going to times that by 10000 to figure out how much money the servant would owe by today's standards. Any guesses? A lot. $16 billion in debt. $16 billion. Now, even in Jesus' time, there was no kingdom that brought in that much money. Galilee, a fairly wealthy area, a fairly wealthy providence, brought in about 300 talents annually in revenue. So that is an entire... Why do I know that? Because I talk to somebody? No, uh, that's fairly common. They they, They always kept really good records when it came to money. Not always everything else, but when it comes to money, there's always really good records. So we look in the providences of Jesus' time, and three, four, five hundred talents annually was a lot of income. And now we're talking about 10,000 talents, or by our standards, billions of dollars. Now, now Jesus is in reality saying, listen, this servant owed a lot of money. 10,000 was the largest number used in accounting in the time. You didn't use a number larger than 10,000. There was no need to. And one talent was the largest amount of currency. So Jesus is saying, literally, this servant owed the largest amount of the largest amount of money possible. There was no greater sum of money known in Jesus' time than the sum of money Jesus just laid out here in this parable. That's a lot of money. such a large amount of money that we know it would have been impossible to ever pay back. It never could have been paid back. Yet, despite that, the king forgives the loan. Remember, he doesn't say, yes, I'll give you time to pay it. He says, okay, and forgives the loan. The loan is canceled. Now, that should have been a really great day for that servant. Should have been a wonderful day. He was just forgiven the largest debt in all of history, basically. But this was not the greatest gentleman in the world. He was that person that enjoyed that lifestyle that he owned. And what does he do? He shakes down a co-worker for 100 coins. Not 100 talents. (laughs) The language here is very clear. 100 talents. Coins. Now, I'll save you the math exercise, but equivalent, uh, equivalent to $16 billion that he owed, 100 coins is about a 20. There's a pretty big difference between $16 billion and 20. That's what we're talking about. He, he was just forgiven the largest amount of debt anyone could ever have, but he would not forget a coworker, someone he probably had lots of relationship with, $20. Now, the irony and the hypocrisy of the servant's uh, relationship and the servant's actions certainly wasn't lost on the people of Jesus' time. It shouldn't be lost on us because these are two wildly different sums of money. 
Jesus is emphasizing that what the servant owed was immeasurable. It was so vast, so unwieldy. It was so large. But what he was owed was a trifle, was just a simple amount. Now, I hope the metaphor is clear to us. Our debt to God is greater than any other uh, person could owe us. But I want to look at that idea of debt in two different ways. Now, the first and most common way to look at debt is to talk about debt in sin or being in debt to God because of sin. Uh, The idea is the more we sin or the more we do things that separate us from God and separate us from our intended relationship to God, the bigger our debt becomes or the more we would have to do to restore our relationship. Remember in our, in our uh, talk about marriage, we talked a lot about uh, the marriage bank and, and putting money in the marriage bank and taking money out of the marriage bank. Uh, and, and so we're talking about having taken all of the money out of the bank uh, and, and not being able to put any more back in. Now, in Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, the uh, people of Israel were given the law, or 613 commandments, which were supposed to help them stay in relationship with God. 613 laws, do this or don't do this, to help them stay in relationship with Yahweh, their God. The problem was that it was almost impossible to keep those 613 laws. And the penalty for breaking any of them, although it wasn't necessarily practiced, but if you look at the Old Testament, the penalty for breaking any of the laws was death. It was a death penalty in in the nomadic, um, uh, very uh, harsh reality of that first uh, few years in the people of Israel's uh, wandering through the wilderness with Moses. So the penalty for breaking any law was death. And that's where we get the idea of the wages of sin are death. But understandably, we don't like this image of God. We don't like this image of God that gives us a list of things to do and then punishes us for not doing them. Why would God demand that we do all of these things that we could never do and then condemn us when we fail? Now, that's not really my interpretation of it, and that I think uh, that's, that's a lot of the common belief. And I don't think it's really about what God wants or wanted. I think it's about what we wanted and what we chose. Back in Genesis 2, we read God's intention was for humanity and God to be in relationship, that we would be co-creators with God in this thing called creation. But humanity, whether you believe it actually happened as Adam and Eve or you believe that's an allegory for each of our lives uh, or you believe both, humanity turned their backs on God and chose to live their own life. And we call that sin. And the more we sin, the farther we get away from God and the greater our debt comes. Now, some of you will be uncomfortable with or or find it difficult to understand the idea of being in debt to God because of sin. That's going to be uncomfortable or you're not going to like that or you're not going to understand that. But for some of you, that's just reality. And that's very comfortable for you because you've lived that. Uh, And and personally, I feel that... uh, that's part of who I am. That when I graduated high school, that I went off and I was going to do things my way. And as I got into college, I was going to uh, choose where my life was headed and I was going to choose where I was going to live, what I was going to do, who I was going to marry, and I didn't really have any concern for anybody else. And I separated myself from God. I separated myself 
from other people, and I hurt a lot of relationships, uh, and, I, and I went down a pretty dark path. Now, it's not hard for me to look back and see that the choices that I were making were self-destructive. And it's not hard for me to look and see if I had followed that path, my own will, my own way, that it possibly could have even led to death. So this idea of sin leading to death, this idea of sin separating us from others and God is very comfortable for me. It makes sense in my heart. What? To, to each his own. We're, we're going to get there, Todd. But the reality is, God wasn't punishing me for my sinful behavior. I was punishing myself by not living into the being the person God was calling me to be. At that point, there was nothing I could do to make myself right with God. But when I accepted Christ and I decided to follow Christ, all of that debt, all of that sin was washed clean, all of that debt was canceled, and I was able to begin a new life. And I think that brings us to another type of debt that I want to talk about, and that is another type of debt we all have to God, and that's indebtedness. Have you ever been indebted to someone? Now, I am indebted to my parents. They paid for a lot of things over the course of my life. They loved me. They encouraged me. They brought me up in a, in a strong, solid home. I am indebted to them. There's no way I could repay them for all of the good things they've done for me. And just like that, and exactly, and I can never repay that. And just like that, I can never repay God for what God has given to me. Through Jesus Christ, I have new life. The Holy Spirit makes me new each day. I can experience peace that passes all understanding. I can experience complete joy. I can experience hope in very hopeless situations. I can experience perfect love in all things that I do. Now, I've been given and I still receive gifts that are amazing from the Holy Spirit. I experience passion and grace every week when we gather here together. I've been blessed with a wonderful career, a wonderful wife, wonderful children. All of those things a gift from God. I am indebted to God for all of those wonderful things. And I could never pay that back. So I see my debt at both ends. And I'm not saying this isn't something we can argue about and talk about that time. But I see it personally at both ends. I see myself racking up a lot of debt because of my sin. But I also see myself indebted to God for all the great things I have in my life. Now the good news of this parable is that no matter where that debt comes from, no matter what that debt is, no matter how we got it, even the largest amount possible the largest debt you could ever have, God is ready and willing to forgive it. Now, the gospel and especially the teachings of Paul talk extensively about what that looks like, how you do that, all of that stuff. But let's just focus in on this parable tonight. If we only had this parable, and this is the only thing we understood about new life in the kingdom of God, we would believe and we would say what the servant did. The servant asked for forgiveness and was forgiven. Now, we believe in something called confession. It's something that we do here every single week. We bring wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we are, to God, and we say, make me new. Forgive me if I've wronged you. 
Forgive me if I've wronged someone else. Allow me to live new life. And that's something we need to not just do here on Saturday night. It's something we need to do every day, something we need to wake up and say, Lord, I am sorry for how I failed, and thank you for all you've given me. Help me live new life fully, completely, in this coming day. So that's the good news. But the parable does not end with particularly good news. The parable ends with a warning. The servant was forgiven unimaginable debt. Now what did he do? He turned around and did not forgive the minor debt of a co-worker. Because of that, the servant, the first servant, was imprisoned and tortured. It, was, it didn't just say that he was thrown to the guards to imprison him. He was thrown to the guards who were in, uh, in charge of torturing prisoners. So it's not a particularly um, nice ending. It's actually a pretty terrifying passage of Scripture when you read it like that. But there's something uh, we have to look at. I think Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And that's something we've talked about, I know. This is March, and we've already had three sermons on forgiveness. I'm sorry. See, I'm asking for forgiveness. It's kind of a pun in the sermon. No? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. But there's something else going on. The servant begged for forgiveness because he knew what his punishment was. But if he uh, actually wanted forgiveness, if he actually wanted to change, the story may have ended differently. But it's clear to us that he was begging for forgiveness because he was afraid of punishment, not because he was truly sorry, not because he wanted to be new, not because he wanted to change. He still wanted to be that guy everybody wanted. Now, when we ask for forgiveness, we aren't asking just for a get-out-of-jail-free card. We're asking for new life, transformation, and change. When we say, Lord, I am sorry for how I have treated my spouse, it is not just to get out of punishment. It is so that we will never hurt them again. Lord, I am sorry at how I failed. is so I will never fail again. That I can be encouraged and lifted up. So I can be transformed. That I can be made. Lord, I'm sorry that I was angry with my friend. Help me not be angry with them in the future. Jesus forgives all kinds of people, all kinds of sins, all kinds of wrongdoings, but he tells them, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, okay, I got you covered this time. I'll see you next time. Jesus isn't the drive-through of forgiveness. Jesus expects and gives us the ability to change through the Holy Spirit. It's not just saying, Go and be better. No, it's saying, I will help you become better. So if you're begging for forgiveness to escape punishment, you've kind of missed the point. Forgiveness restores our relationship with God. And of people of new life, we're called to share that forgiveness with others. Amen. I do encourage you, uh, we're, we're going to play sticks next week, so that will be exciting, right? Who doesn't love sticks? 
Uh, but I do encourage you, two weeks from now, we're going to do something special in worship, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, but uh, encourage you to be here and be part of that as well. I want you to be here every week, but if you have to miss one, don't miss two weeks from now. Uh, again, continue Friday. Make sure you have that on your calendar. Make sure you're involved in that. Uh, that's going to be a great time, a wonderful time to uh, uh, reach out to our community. We've had some people uh, going door-to-door. Steve and Charlie did that a little bit today. Um, uh, going and, and selling some tickets and uh, we encourage uh, all of you to engage your family and friends and co-workers uh, and get them engaged with our community uh, so that we can continue to share that good news uh, what Christ has to offer us that new life uh, that joy and that peace and that hope uh, and, and that love that we experience uh, here and we experience personally because of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, so let's have a word of prayer as we transition now to our uh, worship time Gracious God, help us as we continue to seek the lost. Help us return all people to your kingdom. Help us come to ourselves and follow you. Help us celebrate when one who is lost returns. Open our hearts to receive your grace. Open our hearts to share your grace. As you forgive us, let us forgive others. Make us servant leaders in all that we do, serving those in high places, serving those in low places, honoring all those who serve. Equip us with gifts that we need to make disciples, to transform our community, to make your kingdom a reality. Transform us into people of your love, people who love God and love others, people who love our enemies. We pray for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Make us one as you are one, through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church. Amen.